So we have are starting our new year. We are embarking on another year in the narrative lectionary. And if you remember from last year, what the narrative lectionary does, what we're trying to do is we follow the story of God and God's people from uh, the beginning. Some story in Genesis, usually close to uh, creation or, or, or Noah or something like that. And we follow this grand story of God caring for his people, the, his people generally messing it up, and God calling them back to him. And it goes, and there's these high points when everything is going well, and creation seems to be going uh, as God intended. And then there's those really low points where we usually muck everything up and everything in between. And so it moves from that story and follows God through parts of the Old Testament to the birth of Jesus. The redemption of the world is life, death, and resurrection. And then we move into the birth of the church and the stories of the early church living out this new created order made possible through Christ. And then we wrap up in Pentecost. Seems simple enough. In this particular passage, and, in, and many of them that you may remember, they're quite long. And today's passage is one of those that's pretty long. And so I'm going to be reading the scripture throughout my sermon as we move forward. The first reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 7. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed humans from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living being. I want to stop here. There's a lot here to unpack, and there's a lot of beauty in this that shows us that the God that we worship, the one who was intimately involved in creation, was so from the very beginning. We have never had this distant God simply creating things and watching from afar and not getting involved, though the first creation story in Genesis 1 may suggest it. Because in this story, rather than God speaking humanity into being, we have this image of God kneeling down and working in the dirt, working in the clay, forming humankind in his image. Now, I'm very careful in saying humankind here, and that's intentional, because this, the, the word that's translated here is Adam, or as, as read as Adam the name, but it comes from that root of earth, Adamah in the Hebrew. And Adam comes from the Adamah. It's not until later that we see where we get the separation between man and woman and the words for those two things coming back. So there's a long tradition of interpreting this passage, meaning that humankind, this, this, this whole being that is not gendered in any way, is not separated, it just simply exists, is what was created. And the importance of this I'll get to. But what I don't want you to lose sight of is this idea of God getting his hands dirty. God working in the clay, working in the dirt 
to form humankind in his image. And then after forming human beings, God breathes his breath of life into this form. And it is when the breath of life from God is breathed into this dirt being, this, this thing from the earth, when those two things combine, there is life. And there is transformation. The next part of the passage I'm going to read is from chapter eight, uh, verses, or sorry, chapter two, verses eight through seventeen. I'm going to ask you if you can try to scroll through that so I'm not tapping when I'm just trying to read. I apologize. I said I was going to uh, control it, but apparently I don't uh, multitask well. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the human whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first branch is Pishan. It is the one that flows around the whole land of, of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east to Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the human and put them in the garden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded them to make, that they may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they shall not eat. For in the day that they eat of it, they will die. So we've moved beyond that point. And remember, before in this creation story, this version of it, before God created the plants and the garden and the trees and everything that human beings would need to thrive, God created humanity. In the first creation story, in Genesis 1, everything is created and prepared for humankind. The food that they would eat, the gardens, the water, everything was already created before humanity was placed on earth. Instead, in this one, we have God saying there is no one yet to till the earth. There is no one yet to partner with. There is no one yet who can take on this task of creation care, and so I'm going to create someone to do it. Which then God did. And now that God has that partner, that now that God has created that human being, God starts creating more. God starts creating the plants and the trees. God starts creating the rest of the garden. Because we were never meant to just sit and wait and, 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 and relax by the beach. I, I can't remember this TV show. The quote sticks in my head as a kid for some reason. It probably made me laugh a lot more than it should have. And it's just one of those core memories that sticks in. And, and the line went something along the lines of, and we'll get there, if it wasn't for Eden or Eve, we would be sitting, or if it wasn't for woman, really, probably is what it actually was, we'd be sitting all naked playing beach volleyball together. But this passage tells us that we were never meant 
to simply, well, rest all the time. We were created for a purpose. We were created to partner and work with God in this creation care in what God was about to be doing. And God was about to be creating. Now, God created the gardens, and I often wonder why uh, the, the rivers were included in this passage. It seems kind of extra. Like, God, the, the, the authors could have kind of skipped over that, or God could have skipped over that as he was directing them, however you want to view that. But for me, it tells me that, once again, God is not only working with God, the hands in the dirt, but doing so in a particular place in a particular time. These rivers existed. These rivers were known to the people that were reading this, the cities and the nations that were, were known in these areas. And that reminder that God not only works in, 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 and is actively involved in the creation, but that creation happens tied to a place, tied to a time. And so we have purpose of tilling and working and caring for creation and we have time and we have place all bringing it together reminding us that God is not some kind of cosmic being working at a distance but is intimately involved in the here and now but God created the garden and he created these rivers that would flow from it and that would uh, feed into the surrounding region and God planted all sorts of uh, 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 plants that produced food, and I would imagine plants that produced beauty because those things often go hand in hand. And he created those two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Now, it would have been a lot better if you ask me, though I'm not God and he didn't ask me, if God had only created one of those trees. It seems like the world would have gone a little better, a little differently, had God simply only created the tree of life. But I don't believe that God wants us to be automaton, to, to simply follow without the choice. God doesn't want to control our actions, and in not giving us that choice, and not giving Adam and Eve that choice of which trees that they would eat from, would they have chosen or could they have loved him fully? If we talk about this idea of relationship, of God creating human beings to be in partnership with him, to till the earth, to grow what God was creating, to partner with him in all of that, then he needed to give them a choice. And he does the same for us. We read in the Mark passage that Jesus, when he came, he did not want to go about his creating work, his work of recreating all of creation, of redeeming it, and bringing forth uh, this conquered death, this land, uh, this kingdom of God. He did not want to go about it by himself. He wanted partners. One of the first things he does when he comes out of, 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 of the wilderness is to find people to work with. And he calls the disciples and he gives them a choice. Will you come and follow me? Will you come with me on this work that I'm going about? Will you partner with me with what I am about to do, or will you not? 
And he offers us each the same choice. Our God is doing amazing things in the here and now, and he's inviting us to be a part of it with him. And he says, will you work with me? Will you choose to work alongside me? And it's up to us to make that choice. It's up to us to make the decision of whether or not we will uh, seek out him and seek out his life. Because remember, our life did not begin, life itself does not begin in this creation story until the breath of God, the breath of life itself is met with the physical creation. It is the combination of the two that brings about that life and that purpose and that being. If we choose to inspire, be inspired by God, we get to be a part of that new creation and that new life. Now, this next passage has gotten a lot of people into trouble. It has created a lot of aggravation in our world. It has created this uh, uh, constant struggle between whether or not man was created first and then evil, women was created out of that and then because of that there's this hierarchy and this meaning that apparently should because it was set up in the created order has to be carried through for all of creation and has led to a lot of pain suffering and death especially of women and so we're going to touch on that next with this passage for verses 18 to 25 god looked at this human being and said it is not good that they should be alone I will make them a helper as, as their partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to this being to see what they would call them. And whatever they called every living creature was its name. This being gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But there was not a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon them. And as they slept, they took out the rib and closed up its, uh, its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from them, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman for the out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I specifically started saying, or at least trying to intentionally say, man and woman in these verses, because that's the first time we start seeing the Hebrew word for both, ish and isha. This is where we start seeing this separation. But... What I want to go into here, what I think is important, is this word of helper. It's often or many times interpreted as submissive, as this, this, this lesser than who can help and assist the greater than. But the Hebrew word here is often used to describe God. It is a powerful helper. It is a powerful companion. It, not, it is not just some, well, you can do these tasks over here and I'm going to do the important stuff. It is used to describe God's help and God's uh, salvation. It's used to describe the way that God saves God's people and brings them out of trouble. The other word here is used opposite 
is translated as opposite. This powerful opposite. This powerful uh, opposition, almost. I, I saw a few ears perk up. I saw a few ears perk up at that one. What if these two created beings, one wasn't subservient to the other, and that wasn't the created order, but one in which their opposites could come together? That just as human beings are the opposite of God, in that we're mortal, and that we are not all-powerful, and that we cannot create just out of ourselves, and yet God wanted both to work with us for new creation, that this man and this woman were opposites. They each brought something to the table. They could contend and fight with one another and work on each other to get to that common future. Do the creative task that God had created them for. This powerful helper to go along for the journey is a stark uh, contrast against how this passage can sometimes be interpreted. But we have God again creating, getting, getting God's hands into, this, uh, into the very act itself of, of removing a rib and forming a new being from it. And there's a few things I want to, a few arguments I want to give you so that if you do run into someone who insists that, that women are lesser than men because that, that argument is on the rise and as we as Christians can say, no, that is not the biblical interpretation that you need to go with. It's not the only one, and it's probably not even the main one. So I want to give you a couple of these things now so that you can go out into the world, and if you encounter this, this, this bad theology, you can answer it. I've already given you one, that God is creating a helper that is like God, that is, uses the same language of, of God as helping God's, uh, his people. Another one I want to give you is that at this point in the story, in creation itself, before the fall, they are equal partners, equal and opposite. They are working together. It isn't until the fall itself where it's established, at least in the biblical text, that men will rule over women. Why this matters is if Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, calls us to this restored created order, this re restored way of being, this restored way of living in the world and partnering with God to bring about new creation that is a restored to the way things were before the fall, then the Christian argument of order isn't to say put men above women in all things and in the church and in the world and all of that. It's this restore that equality. It's to restore that partnership. It's to restore that that co-creating ability that the man and woman had in the garden before the fall. It is to undo the curse. It's to undo what had been uh, had resulted of them eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And unless this the third thing I'd like to lift up is that this passage may be less about defining marriage than it is about explaining why we seek companionship. The, the commentary here about therefore a man leaves his father is not what Adam says. 
It's not the man who says this. It's, it's not the woman who says this. It's not God that said it. It's, it's an interpretation of what just happened. But what if instead we say that between this, the, the, this, this, these, these helper opposites were created for one another and say, instead of saying that's how we have to define marriage, what if it's how we have to define all good relationships, all ways of living in this world, that we are not meant to be alone, we are not meant to travel on ourselves, we are not meant to go about our work or even God's work by ourselves, but that we have this natural tendency to seek out companionship, this natural tendency to seek out others who may help us, who may contend with us, that may rescue us as we go about this work, and then we can go about it together. What if it's a commentary that God is seeing that loneliness is not how he wants us to live? It's, an, it's, it's a condition that all too many suffer from, especially post-COVID. There are people out there, and perhaps people even here, that are dreading the darker days, the shorter days, because it means more time alone in their homes. It means less interaction with people in the outside world. It means less interaction with and companionship each day. And we feel that sense of a need and a desire to be with other people, other people like us, other people from whom we can partner with, not always agreeing, not holding one another, uh, holding ourselves over them or or them holding it over us, but partnership and growth to go about the task that God had set from the very beginning before he created the human being. For there was no one yet to till the ground. God has created this task for us. God has created us for a purpose and for one another. to bring about and till this new created order that was established and reestablished through Jesus Christ. And if we claim to follow him, we too, like him, will seek out others to go with us on that journey. In that way, the church is living out this creation story. We are people who have been created for one another, placed together, hold each other accountable, hold each other as opposites and as powerful helpers, praying for one another, which is the most powerful thing that we can do, and lifting each other up and carrying us on the journey and going about his work. To make disciples of all nations. To teach people the love of Christ for them. A love that knows no end. A love that is born out of any, nothing that we have done but solely out of who God is. And a love that sees us, wants to see us restored and recreated and re-inspired. A love that challenges loneliness, of despair, of guilt, and calls us into a new being. This is our task. We have been united together to do it. Will we choose to do so? Amen. Let us pray.
Loving God, we give you thanks once again for bringing us to this place, for creating us for one another, and for the purpose of, of, of tilling your new creation, of partnering with you to bring it into being, to find those places where your, your kingdom is taking root, and together with you, bring it to flourishing so that others may see it, that others may be drawn to it and desire it for themselves, that others may see that you truly are a God at work in our world in the here and now, getting your hands dirty. We give you thanks for the stories and the lessons that you offer in your word. And though we seek forgiveness for when we've misapplied it or we've caused division or pain through it, we ask that you would speak to us fresh anew with your spirit so that we might learn and do better that we might grow more in love with you through the study of your word and worshiping together, but that we might more grow more in love with your people, with your creation. From the very beginning, you have sought to work with us, sought to partner with us, and you have created us to work with one another. So give us the strength to do that. Give us the desire to answer your call and to say yes, Forgive us when we quarrel amongst ourselves or seek to divide, thinking our way is better or the only right way. Help us as your people to show that there is a different way of living in this world, one that creates life, one that brings healing and mercy, one that brings justice. For the world is not yet according to you, how you created it or desired it to be, we have fallen far, but you have not abandoned us. You have not left us alone. You have not given up on us, and for that we are grateful. As we who have felt your love for each one of us gather here, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to take what we have heard into a world desperate to hear it if we are lonely, if we are heartbroken, if we are sick, in need of your care, we place ourselves in your hands. For our loved ones, we place them in your care as well. We know that you, they are your beloved children, that nothing is outside of your knowledge and nothing is outside of your power. <laughs> and no prayer request that we lift up to you this day is too big or too small. We seek out your presence in their lives. And if there's any way that we can be your hands and feet, if there is any way that we can be an answer to someone's prayer, both whether here in this church or in our community, in our workplaces or in our homes, you would move through us. But there are things that are too great for even us. There are things that seem way outside of our control and our ability to influence it all. And for those things especially, we turn to you and gather at your throne, seeking your spirit to move among those who can make a difference, those who can challenge the evils in this world, those who can stand against injustice, violence, those who can provide sick uh, healing to the sick, those who can stand in the way of persecution because of who they are, where they were born, the color of their skin, their gender, 
who they love. You call that to do with that. You call us to do that in our homes and our families, wherever we happen to be in the here and now. But we pray for others to know about that work as well. Forgive us where we failed. Give us strength to do better tomorrow. Call us as your disciples who follow you each day into the places that you you are you already go. Teach us your ways, O Lord. Guide us in the paths of your righteousness. Let us seek out your glory over all else. And in that glory, let us bring healing and hope to those who desperately need it. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray when they have the, don't have any other words to pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now receive this benediction. May you go forth from this place in the good news, knowing that we are not alone, knowing that we have a God that is at work in the world, and here or now getting God's hands dirty, inviting us to be a part of what God's doing. And as we live out God's call, let us pray together the words that are on the screen. Send to us all the people who feel unwanted and unloved in other places. If they can't come to us, send us to them. Loving God, send us out into the world, sharing your good news with those that we meet, living out your kingdom call with one another, and inviting others to be a part of what you are doing. May we go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.